Welcome to the PA Books Podcast. PA Books is a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. This program features interviews with authors of books on Pennsylvania people, history, sports, business, nature, and politics. We hope you enjoy this podcast. This week on PA Books, Rebecca Finzel and Joel Finzel, authors of Franz Klein in Coal Country. Our guests today are Rebecca Finzel and Joel Finzel, and they are the authors of this book, Franz Klein in Coal Country. Rebecca Finzel, we'll start with you. If someone knows nothing about Franz Klein, what should they know? That he is one of the major American painters in art history. Um, he changed the course of art history by bringing the focus of uh, European artists to America during art abstract expressionism. And I mean, he lived for his art, so I think that's what he would want to be known as, a very important artist. When did he paint? He painted roughly from the late 30s to the early 60s. And uh, coal country? Coal country, he loved coal country. He came to coal country after he had been in an orphanage for several years. So when he got to coal country, it was almost like the promised land. He didn't have any rules, you know, he didn't have an, a regimented life anymore. He could do what he wanted, think what he wanted. It was just a wonderful time in his life. And that's Lehighton, Pennsylvania? Lehighton, Pennsylvania. Where yeah. is that? That is about two hours north from Philadelphia. Um, what about an hour from Manhattan? Yeah, it's, it's in Carbon County. It's about a few minutes from Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And um, it's also kind of tucked right in the middle of Allentown and Wilkes-Barre. And um, it w was an old railroad town. It wasn't a, necessarily like a coal mining town because they had the big roundhouse there. And when someone needed work done on their train, they would, that's where they would go basically to get the maintenance done on their trains. How so big is it? Well, it's a small town, I would yeah, say. Yeah, so we live on 9th Street. I grew up on 9th Street, and that's Klein actually grew up on 9th Street too. And back then, that was kind of as far as you could go, 9th Street. And then you'd get to the fairgrounds, and like it became more like the valley after that. Do people in Lehighton today know who Franz Klein was? I would say so. Yeah, definitely. There's a wing now in the middle school that highlights him, uh, and there's a movement in town too bring more awareness to young people, for sure. And the fact that the, his mural of Lehighton that he painted in 1946 is now in the Allentown Museum. But the original painting needed too much work done um, to be restored. And now it's an it's amazing presentation at the Allentown yeah. Museum. Both. The Allentown Art <laughs> Museum bought it two years ago, I would say. They rescued it. Um, it was really starting to deteriorate in the Legion home because of the light, the lighting and the, the humidity and stuff like that. People used to smoke there at the yeah. bar. It's in the big banquet room. It's 14 feet long, and um, it's uh, it's just it's a gorgeous painting. It's like the like kind of like the Lackawanna Valley style, like the Hudson River style. You can see. It's a panorama of Lehighton in a figurative style. Was he famous when he put the painting there? 
I'd say he was on the verge. He was locally famous, and he had won a few awards in New York at that point, but he wasn't able to support himself yet. So this this commission, what was it, like $400, $600? $600, It was yep. a big deal for him at that time. And he painted, He only had two weeks to paint it, too. They, they had just created this new banquet room because you had all of these soldiers coming home from World War Two, two, yeah, and um, so they needed more space, and so they decided that they were going to build this banquet room, and they wanted um, some kind of art to represent the area behind the bar. So, Rebecca, why did you write the book? I wrote the book because I was a newspaper reporter at the time. It was 1986, and this big retrospective, uh, Franz Klein in retrospect, the vital gesture was traveling across the United States. And it was coming from Cincinnati to uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And I wanted to do an article on it for our newspaper, The Times News. So I pitched the idea to my editor, and he said that that was fine. And I went to our library to start researching, get some background information. I couldn't find anything at all about Klein's early life. And I knew he lived in the Heighton, and I knew he had lived there for a while. And my aunt had told me stories when I was a young girl about her friend, because they were friends in high school. I thought, where is this information? And there was no, it, there was none. So I started knocking on doors, because a lot of his high school uh, friends and childhood friends were still living in the area. So I knocked on a few doors, got a couple leads, followed those leads, got more leads, and the article, you know, evolved into a book. So. What did people remember about him when you talked to them? Most everybody remembered that he was a great football player and that all the girls were in love with him and that he was a great artist. He did the, uh, he did the high school newspaper and he also illustrated the yearbook. So he was known as an artist and they loved his sense of humor and his storytelling abilities. That was primarily what they said. And he, was, he kind of liked to keep things light. He seemed like he, he enjoyed being sort of the clown and playing around and keeping things playful and, yeah. and um, not taking life too seriously. And I think that was sort of infectious to other people. They, it, it, it filled them up somehow. And, and he was this exotic person who came into their, their uh, neighborhood after a lot of them had known each other since kindergarten. So here you have this, this man He's um, coming in at, what was he, eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a little bit older than all the other eighth graders because he had been in Girard College um, after his father committed suicide. Would you tell that story? First of all, where was sure. he living when so he, he was growing up? So Klein was born in Wilkes-Barre. Um, when he was seven years old, his father sold the property that he inherited from his parents. It was called the Klein Brothers Saloon. They were pretty wealthy at the time? They had a beer garden that was that brought in a lot of money. Yeah, they were and, wealthy, and it supported the whole family. So, like Klein's father, Anthony Carlton Klein, um, he was running it, and he had married Cl Franz Klein's mother, who was from Cornwall, in England. And um, after they were married, he, with prohibition coming, with rumors of prohibition coming. He decided, oh, maybe it's good to sell the property now, get get out ahead of it, you know. And um, and after he sold the property, his sister said, that was the worst mistake you ever made. Go back there and buy that property again. And um, yeah. do you want to keep, do you want to? So he bought back the property from the real estate agent. Hyman Stokolsky. Yeah, and he ended up having to pay like um, $27,000 more than what? 
they were going to give him, what they gave him. So basically it broke him. He wasn't wealthy anymore. And um, I think his wife was really probably very upset to say the least about that. Anyway, he felt like he was a failure and he shot himself in the head. His brother had just died. It was really dark mood. Like Joel said, prohibition rumors were coming and um, and he lost all this money. Yeah, so, it, and it's covered pretty widely. If you dig into the old newspapers, you can follow. It was sensational. You, you, and you can follow it because uh, Klein's, Klein, Franz Klein's mom ended up suing the real estate um, developer and she actually was assaulted by him. If you read the newspaper, she claimed that he picked up a telephone to get her out of the room and when she wouldn't stop berating him, he struck her with the phone. And so he was sued by her and she eventually won some, some money out of the settlement. But you can follow all that through the old newspapers, so it's really interesting. Yeah, they, they made sensational headlines. So she's there with three kids, four kids, and um, no husband now. And it went from wealthy to broke overnight. The only money they had was in a trust fund for their educations. Yeah, so, so his mother decides to go to nursing school and she has to divide up her children in various ways and two of them go to a group home affiliated with her church and um, another one goes with a family member and Klein is, is, is uh, accepted at Girard College, the school for fatherless boys here in Philadelphia. And he would spend quite a few years there before his mother finally was allowed to bring him home to Lehighton. And he had no family contact those first few years because she was going to nursing school and she couldn't visit him. So he was there for holidays and he was there for summer vacation. Oh, he didn't come home for the no. summer? No. In 1920, he started coming home for the summer to Lehighton after she remarried. Yeah, you have in here something about... Um his mother had been writing letters to Gerard College president for almost five years, seeking a loophole for her son's early release. Sounds like yeah. prison. <laughs> you were assigning your child away to the city of Philadelphia, essentially, at that point, if you were allowing them into, into Gerard College. And, uh, and you, can, you can follow that in the documents as well, what you were signing. And you were basically indenturing your child. Mm -hmm. and, um, it, and they couldn't leave until they were 18 or they graduated. And it was kind of a vocational certificate. It wasn't a high school diploma. And that was the main thing that Klein's mother was disappointed with because she expected all of her children to go to college. His sister will become an English professor. His, other, his brother will become a principal. So she, she valued education beyond anything else. Pretty Did much. he write about his time at Gerard College? No, he didn't. But luckily, we found somebody that went to college or went to Gerard College at the same time as him and also attended a special art class with him at Girard. There were 12 kids that were picked for this special art class, and Franz Klein was one of them, out of 1,500 students. Once a week, I guess, they painted um, in Founders Hall, which is a beautiful building. It looks like the, the Acropolis. And um, so I was able to correspond with this man who went to Girard with Franz, and he gave me some good background information. So we were pretty well we felt happy that we had him to you know get information yeah, from Robert Shear and we also they have a file on him that we were able to access oh, that's right yeah yeah and there's been a lot written about Gerard College um, over the years and there's a lot of great old postcards and things like that that are 
that are in the book that are fun to look at. The one picture in the book is really something. It shows probably a thousand boys swimming. And it shows the 10-foot wall in the background. And I don't think they're wearing any clothes, they're wearing are they? Clothing. <laughs> <laughs> they're swimming in the au naturel. Well, when did people start noticing that he had a knack for art? Oh, in high school. Yeah, he. There are accounts of him drawing on his hymnals in church, little doodles, and with the rhubarb stories. Is he drew his first picture with a stick of rhubarb on a sidewalk with of a train? You know, he's very fascinated with trains. They saw trains as like the way we think of people like LeBron James now. You know, they they were superstars. The trains were like the idols of the kids back mm -hmm. then. And even though he was singled out at Gerard to be in this special art class of 12, they weren't treated like they were special. Um, Robert said that they were treated as if they were odd because any boy who would want to trade time outside, you know, playing baseball or playing games and attending an art class was looked at like kind of strange. And he didn't receive any awards there. You know, he wasn't really singled out as a, an exceptional art student other than to be in the class itself. And it seemed like every time you went and talked to a new person about Klein who had met, known him, a former classmate, they all had something in their attic that they were willing to show you that had his doodles on it or it was like a sculpture he made or yeah. something like that. And It was part of the research I never expected was people to pull out their early Franz Klein works and share them with with us for the book. Do they appreciate the value of them? Do they realize what they've got? No, not really. I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, in, in Lehigh and Klein has always been sort of a controversial figure because everyone loves his figurative work. They loved the pieces that they could sort of understand what they were seeing. And then when he switched to his abstract pieces, which brought like the one that sold for over $40 million in 19... The 1957 untitled Black and White, it was in 2012, it sold for $40.4 million. Um, those pieces, the people in Lee Heighton were just like, they kind of threw up their hands, some people, and they were just like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, most of the people I interviewed that went to school with him or was friends with him, they did not appreciate his abstract work. They felt it was kind of like a betrayal as to who he was before, you know, the fronts that they knew. Why would he choose to do abstract work when he had the, the ability to do realistic work? Well, well, he evolved into abstract yeah, for a long period of time. Yeah. It, the, the New York School, as he was a founder of the New York School with Jackson Pollock and Mark Rothko and Lee Krasner and all those big names. And all of them were coming up in a time when photography is sort of taking over. And, and so they're, they're moving into these realms of, of like in their unconscious and, and these spontaneous actions. They called them action paintings. And so it was like you were, you were in an arena with your painting and you were just working out something in that moment, whatever it is. And um, it's funny though, because one of the things that, that my mom discovered is uh, a friend of Klein's from his, high from his college years in Boston and one of the things that we were able to republish in our book is an unpublished essay that he wrote about Klein in the 1960s. And he mentioned some insights into Klein's life about how he felt about abstract work early on. And he's sort of making fun of abstract expressionism. Klein was? Klein yeah. was. He didn't and want to have anything to do with it. He was saying it seems like, he was like throwing up his hands and saying, it seems like to get noticed in New York, you have to do something so outrageous, you know? And we have the, it's a, I think that's a really interesting perspective that intimate perspective that 
Frederick Ryan's essay gives mm -hmm. on Klein. And then later on we have a quote from Klein saying he never expected to be this abstract, like the way he's being described in the newspapers to him is all just sort of... He never expected any yeah. kind of celebrity. He just followed the muse. How famous was he at his peak? <clears throat> well, he was invited to the White House by Jacqueline Kennedy when the uh, French Minister of culture. culture was coming to allow the Mona Lisa to leave the Louvre and come to the, and the United States for the first time. He, um, he was given the chair of the art department at Yale, mm -hmm. but he was too sick at that time to accept it. He was called the Elvis Presley in art by an Australian <laughs> newspaper. You said that Nelson Rockefeller had one of his paintings yeah, in the, as governor. the governor's mansion? He had Corinthian yeah. one, and then the governor's mansion burned down. And he asked Franz Klein if he would give him a duplicate of Corinthian one, and he said no, that he never duplicates a painting, so he did Corinthian two for Rockefeller. And he did one for Adelaide Stevenson? He did. He did a poster, an elect Adelaide yeah. poster. Yes, during the election, he was trying to help him, you know, did some posters and things like that. What does his artwork look like when he started out, like when he was in high school, when early on? Pretty typical. Yeah, he wanted to be a cartoonist originally. That he wasn't wanted, typical. He wanted to do smart illustrations like Phil May and um, things that were more... Slick? Slick, Cheap. yeah. He was he always... He liked clowns. He did a lot of clowns. He did uh, Crazy Cat a lot, mm -hmm. which is a, and Joe College, these, right. these uh, common illustrations from that time. He would do them on like his friend's rain slickers and stuff. He excelled in high school as a cartoonist. Nobody could hold a candle to him. His, his, his cartoons were so refined and so um, far beyond what anybody else in high school was doing. Paintings. Not really that exceptional. Didn't do many in high school, but did do, he painted murals for extra money. Yeah, a lot of bar rooms. Yeah, bar room murals he did. He got a lot of compliments on those. A roller skating rink, which uh, is the, the lost murals of Klein. Um, can't, well, that was a show in the 80s, I believe. Yeah, at Bucknell. Bucknell. Oh, those are murals he did where the buildings were torn down? Yeah. Yeah, they mm -hmm. used a saber saw to cut the cement in order to, protect these murals. Oh, they were able to save the paintings? I think all but one. All but one, yeah. The family did. They went in with the, like Joel said, a saber saw and cut them out. Did he have a teacher who was like his, his guide, or did he just have it? You mean as far as art, like yeah. an art teacher yeah. who took him under his wing? Uh, no, he didn't have anything like that. He just had it. Maybe at, maybe at Girard College in that special arts class, he found some kind of catharsis from from what was going on around him, from from the pain of his losing his father, yeah, and because um, we know that his teacher there, Miss Edith Breggy, has some paintings and some pretty well, pretty she good institutions. Well, yeah, she studied under Charles Woodbury. She went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts School in the twenties, so she was really a good artist as, a t as far as a teacher goes. Yeah. She was a daughter of a prominent judge in Philadelphia, Reggie. And I think she, he did feel special being in that art class. Yeah, and, and when you look at the Lehighton High School yearbooks leading up to Klein, you're like, oh, you know, high school art. 
And then Klein comes in and you're just like, oh my wow. God, these things. And they sell, they sell for a lot now. Oh, the yearbooks do? Yeah, even the yearbooks yeah. of his cartoons and things. Mm -hmm. They do. Occasionally they you'll, one will pop up on eBay and it'll be for thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And you said you found some of his mother's nursing school books? Oh, yeah, I did. A, uh, Her market. notebooks <laughs> at the Lee Heighton Library in a book sale. Yeah. There they were, three of them. Louise, or, um, Anna R. Klein, beautiful handwriting. We became friends of Franz Klein's sister, Louise, and she described her mother's handwriting um, as beautiful. And when we got those books, she, she was right. It was the same handwriting that she used, well, of course, when she wrote to Girard College to have him released. And Louise said they used those letters as examples in the classes. They would read them out loud to the boys, maybe because they were written so well. Yeah, that's what they said. Like her, and maybe it had some of her storytelling charisma to it. That was she was well known among her children as having this great storytelling ability. Mm -hmm. She would talk about how she grew up in Cornwall and the trip over here in the ship. Yeah, and they loved the King Arthur stories and. And she told her children a lot of stories. Real rich source of culture, this woman. Did she become a nurse after nursing she school? She did, yeah. yeah. And she ended up remarrying a man from Lee Heighton who had four kids of his own. You say in the book it was just a business arrangement. At first it was, but it ended up that it became, I believe, a, a real loving relationship. They fell in love. Yeah. But not in the beginning. It was just, a, like you said, a business type thing. He bought the house, she supplied the, the items in the house, the furniture and her um, accessories. They had a Chinese gong in their house, not too many people had that. Uh, he made pretty much money. He was a foreman for the Lehigh Valley Railroad. So her life wasn't hard other than she was used to having servants in Wilkes-Barre and in Lehigh and she was doing laundry and cooking for like sometimes seven children. So yeah, and I'm one sure of, she, yeah. and you said one, she was very protective as a mother. She was. She seemed to prefer people who were intellectuals for her kids to hang out with. Yeah. And um, our my mom's aunt Gladys, she was president of the debate club. And she was a friend of the family. There's a really funny cartoon in the book where Klein is drawing different scenes, almost like a comic book and he has the debate club, and then it says in the caption, you talk too much, <laughs> which I always love that one. Yeah. But that's Gladys in the picture, and, and that's the mm -hmm. woman who would come to um, my great-grandmother's house and tell these stories about Klein and really kind of plant the seed for this book. The stereotypical image of a, an artist is like kind of aloof and like not of this world. Was he, what was he like in high school to be around? Captain of the football team, catcher on the baseball team. He called at a swing dancing hotel. Very outgoing. Yeah. Had a lot of, had an entourage of friends. And he had a, 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 an affair with one of his high school teachers. He did. He had an affair with his high school English teacher. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other night because she had good intentions in the beginning, I believe, but toward the end of their relationship, she was just becoming like this stalker. He had moved on and she moved to New York and she got a place like in Greenwich Village. That's after he moved to New York? Yeah. Even after he was married, she stayed there. 
And like Louise always said that she used to sing under his window. She took German lessons. Maybe the, Franz Klein's father was a German-American. His grandfather was the, came from Germany, so maybe that's the link there, but she just wouldn't leave him alone. And at the end of his life, or after he passed away, that letter that his wife wrote to uh, News, was it Newsweek magazine? Elizabeth Art Klein? Art News. Art News? Mm -hmm. in, that letter, in that letter, she says that um, Mars Rodell started out as someone who had his best interest at heart. A positive influence. That's the teacher but at Mars the end, yes. did not. She Ma was an obstructive. Matilda R. Matilda Rodell. Graduated from Temple and came and got a job in Lehighton. First job. Mm -hmm. She was only a couple years older than Franz Klein because yeah. Klein was like three years ahead of all his classmates. And she coached, she coached him in the school play and um, she would come help him after school to prepare him for college admissions and things like that. His friends said that um, there was a child uh, most everyone I interviewed in the beginning said there was a child that she got pregnant and um, when I talked to Louise about it, his sister, she said there was no child. Yeah. But his classmates and friends were under the, you know, thought that they had a child together. There's, there's sort of, of a suspicious trip that she took to Europe at a, like right when the school year was supposed to start and it, it just, it, it raises questions as to what she was doing there with all these other people like, perpetuating this rumor. But we, we've never been able to confirm anything. And, no. and Mars Rodell wrote three memoirs mm -hmm. that are all pretty good, good reads. And um, she never mentions anything about a child. No. Did Franz Klein make much money as an artist when he was in high school? No, but I think he made as much as a young boy would working at a gas station after school. Mm. Or, yeah. You know, I think he had mo pocket money. Painting advertising signs for the... Yeah for the dairy that he worked at. For the swimming pool. When the, Lehigh, when the Great Lehighton Fair came to town, the Carbon County Fair, he did caricatures and he um, would do advertising signs for that and things like that. Is any of his art in Lehighton now? Doesn't the library have a picture, the green shipping Oh yeah, the library boat? has yeah. uh, an oil painting called The Green Fishing Boat at the Fulton Fish Market. Um, that's a nice figurative painting. Yeah. Of a, a big ship. It was a, who was that given to? That was given to Henry Bretney. That's right. Henry Bretney was his friend in high school, and when he went to New York and he saw how his friend was living, the conditions that he was living under, um, he was broke. Franz Klein had no heat in his apartment. He had no food, you know, and um, Henry was so upset he sent him $10. This is in the 40s. And then Franz sent him this painting. And it hung in his living room for 40 years, and then when he passed away, they um, donated it to the library. So that, that you can find in Lehighton, but that's about it, other than people who have uh, their own personal you know, pieces of Klein's early artwork. But did, did he go to New York right after high school? No, he went to Boston first. Yeah. He went to Boston University, and um, he became secretary of the art school there. But, but after he was there just for a short time, because of the Great Depression, they closed the art department. There was a lack of endowments. And so some of the professors there kind of went out on their own and they started the Boston Arts Students League, which was sort of a takeoff of the New York Arts Students League. 
and um, they were meeting in the basement of Fenwich Studios, and um, there, that's where actually Klein met um, Frederick Ryan, his friend who provided us with that unpublished essay and all those great insights into their intimate life. I'll tell you, our book, thanks to Fred Ryan, has the only information in it about the Boston Art Students League that you can find. I could find nothing on that, not even the name anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's and he gave us a really great picture of how it was for them to study there and the teachers and things like that. I'm proud of that part of the book. Yeah, Frederick yeah. Ryan Sr., he had studied in Paris and he had just come back. Um, and, his, and so that also inspired Klein after Boston to study at Heatherley's in London. And um, that's where he met his wife, actually. She was a life drawing model mm -hmm. in one of his classes there at Heatherley's. You know, um, when he quit, um, came back to America, he was over in England from 35 to 38. And when he came back, he went, he stopped home for a, a visit, and then he went right to New York to, to start work. But um, um, it, was such, it was such a scandal with Mars Rodell. Everyone says it was real scandal with his teacher. And, um, you know, the day that he got married to his wife, December in 1938, Mars Rodell quit her teaching job in Lehighton and moved to New York. So that's kind of, remember how that's surprised telling. we were when we were, we found yeah. out it was the exact day? Yeah. So she didn't lose her job over this affair with the student? She didn't, but she almost did. She didn't lose her job. She's lucky. It wasn't like it is now. I think she kind of, I don't think any, too many people knew about it. I think everybody just sort of assumed she was a member of, she was like an honorary member of the Klein family at yeah, that point. Yeah, she hung out there all the time. You, people talk about how she was the one pouring tea when you came to visit. So she was really in tight with Klein's mom and Klein's oh, sister. His mm -hmm. mom approved oh, yeah. of and, uh, Mars. Mm -hmm. And Mars would spend a lot of time there and she'd be like, oh, I have to go home now. And his mom would be like, well, why don't Franz walk you home, you know? Or stay here overnight. Or just why don't you just stay here, yeah. What did mom think of him getting married? I, she did not like Elizabeth at all, his wife. She um, would visit them in New York, and she said she'd knock on the door, and if Elizabeth answered the door, his mother would say, why don't you grab a broom and sweep this place? You're not doing anything. You know, you should be doing this. She should be doing that. But his wife was ill. Yeah. She had schizophrenia, so she really had a tough time of it. She was a former ballerina, and she had been presented in court in England, but her father was a, an important military officer. Mm -hmm. And um, this is when going, World War II is going on, and, and she, her parents are afraid that eventually the Nazis are going to start you know, taking over London. And she, so she has all kinds of issues beyond just, you know, she's afraid for her parents' life. She's, she's living afraid in of a, Nazis herself. She's living in a cold water flat, you know, where you have to heat up water for a bath on a tea, with the tea kettle. You know, they're, they're hungry, it's dark, it's, so it's, and the, the mood of the times, I think, was, may have contributed to her mental illness. Mm -hmm. But she did, she did believe that she would have Franz check to make sure there were no Nazis attacking. And, and he moved her to Lehighton? No, but he would bring her to Lehighton sometimes mm. because um, his mother was a nurse. And he brought her to Lehighton the two weeks that he painted the mural. And his mother took care of her because she was reclusive. And 
they said she would stay in the bedroom all day. And then at night, she would come out and walk around in her nightclothes. Or she'd sit in front of a mirror in the bathroom and she would brush her hair for hours, put makeup on. Nobody else could get into the bathroom. Uh, Louise tried to get her outside a few times to take her for a ride like up to Jim Thorpe, which is beautiful. And she wouldn't go. And um, she said, I know Franz is a concert violinist, she said. I know that he's out tonight giving a concert and he won't tell me where it is. So she had definite, she hallucinated, she just was getting worse and worse. Was she ever institutionalized? She was, yeah. She was institutionalized for maybe six months in the 40s, 1946, and then again for 14 years. And when he and his wife were living in New York, was he supporting himself just on his art? Any odd job he could find at that point. Yeah, he created theater sets yeah. with Cleon, Cleon Throckmorton. He, um, he painted gold leaf on a door for a doctor's office. You know, they would hang out at the Cedar Tavern and they would just hope that opportunities to make money would come in. Yeah. Did um, it? Enough, I guess. Enough for him to stay on as an artist, to keep painting, yeah. keep hoping. Yeah. Was there some breakthrough painting or breakthrough moment or breakthrough show that he had? Well, he did have that one-man show. In 1950, that was a success. That was a, an introduction of his black and white works. Yeah. But and the, the S.J. the Newman or the Truman Prize. Yeah, the Truman Prize in the that early he won 40s. Two years in a row. That was a big deal. That was probably the first time he was getting exposure in the New York Times. What's the Truman Prize? S.J. Wallace Truman Prize, uh, National Academy of Design. They give it every year to an artist, a promising artist, at this show. But if you read his letters in our book, um, he's always mentioning how he's trying to hustle and make money. I have two oil paintings over here, and I'm hoping I can collect on their price tomorrow. And I have this here, and I have that there. Hopefully they sold. That's what it, it was like for him. What could you have bought a Franz Klein painting for then? A bagel and a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> would have been true. a good investment. <laughs> It would have been a good investment. He, uh, he ended up going up to Hopkinton, Massachusetts, where Fred Ryan's wife had a toy factory. She made these things called mannequins. What were they called? Munchkins? Man, um, they were, they, something like that. They sold at F.O. Schwartz. F.A.O. Schwartz. F.A.O. Schwartz. Yeah, so he, he would spend time building dolls in this doll factory for extra money. So he would, he would do just about anything at that time. And he would really have to do a lot of finagling to even get there because yeah. of his wife. Yeah, well, the She letters. wasn't able to travel, and yeah. then he was not able to leave her home alone. So he was always trying to get people to stay with her. Or, you know, one time he had to get a hot water heater put in so she could, she could get a shower finally. That would make things easier for her. You know, he was always striving. And he was always saying, hey, just advance me a little bit of money to get me there, you know. He always needed that little bit more to tie things up before he, he could do anything. He didn't have it easy. You said there was one painting he did, Palmerton? Yeah, that Palmerton. Got some Palmerton attention. PA. Yeah. That was the first Wallace Prize winner. And that is in the Smithsonian Museum of American Art. Palmerton PA, it's called. Mm -hmm. He won $400 yeah. for that. And then the following year, it was the Lehigh Valley Winter. Lehigh River. Right, Lehigh River yeah, Winter. Yeah, sorry. And then the, let's go back to this painting, Lee Heighton, 
can you talk about it some more and how it came to be there and what's in it and why is it special to you two? The mural? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the mural is really a special, special painting. And now it's in the Allentown Art Museum, as we said. And it's a panorama of Lee Heighton, and it contains a lot of uh, areas that meant something to him as a boy. Yes. The high so, school, the football practice field, his mother's church, um, um, his family home. His childhood home. home. There's just everything you can think of. There's the cemetery where the Moravian Massacre took place in the 1750s. There's um, three trains. Yeah, three There's trains. There's the beautiful Lehigh Gap in the, river, in the mountains. There's his friend's airplane mm -hmm. above the fairgrounds, yep. which we believe he was taken up in the airplane to get some perspective for the mural. His, his high school friend, Stump Harleman, Stanley Harleman, um, who he who Klein will actually name a very important painting after Harleman, one of the major abstracts. Um, Stump took him up in his plane to help him with the perspective. But it's it's an amazing painting. It's 14 foot long. It was commissioned by the American Legion, post 314, and they were creating this new banquet room for all of the soldiers coming home from the war, and um, the person who was in charge of the Legion at the time owned a paint store in town and he had actually his store had given Klein an award when he was in middle school um, the Bayer paint store yeah right? Bayer. honey Bayer mm -hmm. and um, honey Bayer who we were able who my mom was able to interview for the book describes Klein working on the picture she remembered him working on the mural she said the gesturing and things um, was just fascinating to watch and she said he he stood on this little landing like two feet and just you know swept these strokes and she watched him every day and then became this mural she, she said that at the dedication ceremony um, she sat at the same table with Franz Klein his wife his mother and Ambrose and Louise and her husband and she said Louis, um, Elizabeth just clung to Franz Klein his wife just looked like she was just going through some terrible, terrible circumstance. She I, was pretty ill at the time. I you said before we uh, started this uh, that in, you discovered a, a little heart painted above his childhood home in that painting? Yes. Well, my mother did in the 80s when she was on a television show called Coffee Break. They had taken off the protective glass so you didn't have all of the glare so much on the piece. And she was standing right in the middle of the mural behind the bar, so really close and intimate with it. And Talking to the host, who was G.B. Miller at the time. How do you remember that? that and there day? it was. I said, what is that? I said, there's a heart above his house. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, look there, in the black. There's a heart there. And he said, oh my gosh, yes it is. And then he announced it. He was announcing this on the air for the first time. Uh, she, Rebecca just discovered this a heart painted above Franz Klein's childhood home on the mural. We can tell it's his house because it's right next to the entrance to the fairgrounds. So it's very specifically his house. Mm -hmm. And it's right in the middle of the painting and painted in like dark green or black. It's very, it's, it's camouflaged and it's right above the steeple of the house and it's, it's unmistakable. Camouflaged because there's other strokes that are near it that, you know, kind of look like this heart is a part of that, you know, yeah. busy work. But um, 
you know, Franz Klein took a lot of took a lot of criticism from that mural because the night of the dedication, um, Louis said everybody was coming up to him and saying, "Why do you have my house over here? It should be over here. Why do you have his house aside of your house? It shouldn't be there." And she said, Franz said it was something that he painted that brought to mind a verse from Wordsworth, something remembered in tranquility. He had, um, a, he had a great line about people being right all the time, people wanting to be right all the time. He said, being right is the most excellent thing that nobody ever cares about, <laughs> or something like that. He now, was, this painting, Lee Heighton, is, is fairly realistic. I mean, you can yes, recognize his houses mm -hmm. and uh, railroads. Did he just switch to abstract expressionism, like throwing a switch, or was it, can you trace an evolution? There's a really interesting evolution. You can trace the evolution. Yeah, yeah. and there's an artist named Karen Warshall who um, showed up at our house when she was working on her master's degree. And she was going to Tufts at the time. And she had a really interesting theory about about the switch, and it, and you can you can she took all of the paintings that Klein ever did of his wife. And she compared the as timeline. She, as she was defragmatizing, right? Yeah, so you, you start you start to see as her mental state was deteriorating, her his presentations of her were deteriorating. And um, she had a great theory that we were able to present in our book probably for the Probably for the first time. I'd say it's a pretty good Yeah, because everybody always talks about the Bell Opticon projector that Willem de Kooning had in New York. And they say he took one of his paintings of an old rocking chair and he projected light through it on the wall and like, wow, you know, now I have a new painting style. But Like instantaneous conversion yeah. from figurative to abstract. And that didn't happen. So there's a little bit of everything going on there. And, uh, and at the time, it was, it was what everybody was doing in New York at the Artist Club. So Mark Rothko had a studio in Greenwich Village and um, he had these weekly salons there in the in the 50s yeah or, or the 40s. 40s yeah and there was real close to the cedar tavern the cedar bar and so that whole scene evolved into what's what was called the artists club and it it was something that eventually became kind of hard to get in on you needed to be nominated to be able to come and once a week someone would present an artistic whether it was ballet or music or and then there'd be a panel discussion and you had to pay dues and everything. And so there was a very vibrant scene, like fomenting of all these new ideas and, and with Jackson Pollock and Lee Krasner and Mark Rothko and Hans Hoffman and all these people experimenting in their own ways. When you say abstract expressionism, what does that mean? It means that it's not realism. It means that it's an expression, just an expression of the artist and the circumstance and the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lo it's a, it's a hard term to describe. Yeah. Because you can't say, you can say, okay, that's an abstract expressionist painting because it doesn't resemble anything you necessarily recognize. But but no two abstract expressionists would really do any the same, you know. So so it was about going inside yourself instead of reflecting the outside world. It was about kind of portraying what was inside you and having these emotional um, connections with the viewers. And, uh, and you, you see these, the evidence of the, of the profound effect that it had on people. Um, like who is that actress? Heidi Lamar. 
Oh, Hattie Lamar, yeah. Yeah, she mm -hmm. mentioned in a letter how she saw Klein and it just struck her. And um, the sweeper up after artists, the Balliere, what's his name? Irving Sandler. Yeah. He talks about how. Chief. He talks about how when he was in graduate school in, at Columbia in New York, he was just walking through a museum and he saw a Klein painting and he, it just struck him in this way that he knew he needed to be an art critic. What's so special about those? I mean, on, yeah, on the surface, you look at them and it's, it's just a couple of black slashes on a white background. But there's also white painted on it, on it as well. So it's not all black paint. The white and the black are both painted on there. And you really need to stand in front of yeah, one. Yeah, I was going to say, if you see an abstract in a book, it's not going to have the same effect as if you're standing in front of one in a museum. Uh, there's a great one at the Philadelphia Museum right up the road here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're they're at every pretty much every major Torch's museum. Mauve is in the Philadelphia Art Museum. Um, yeah. What I wanted to say about Klein, back when he before he became an abstract painter, was there came a point in his life as an as an artist because of what was going on around him, he wanted to become an abstract artist. He had the desire. Prior to that, I don't think he did. I don't think it interested him. But if he wanted to become a success and make a career as an artist, I think he got to the point where he said, I've got to find, I've got to find my style. I've got to find my signature style. I, want, I now want to be an abstract painter. Yeah, I think so, too. You yeah. say in your book that Jackson Pollock adored Franz Klein's work. Yeah, yeah we have a great scene of a fist fight that they had at the Cedar Bar in the book that I think is worth reading. Pollock was a character. Pollock was, He's yeah. kind, of, kind of a jerk, honestly, it seems Really, like. I don't see too much desirable about he his liked personality. To, he liked to go up to a table where people were having a nice date and just, like, pull the tablecloth off and... Pick their glass up and throw it against the wall. Franz Klein was so generous and kind. He was a real sweet and sincere person. Yeah. He was real. Klein was one of the few people that would give it back to Pollock. So Pollock would come into the Cedar Tavern flip Klein off his bar stool and Klein would be like, hey, Paul, you know, hey, Jackson, leave me alone, you know. He'd sit back down, he'd flip him off again. Paul, uh, Klein wasn't afraid to give him a few in the gut, you know. Well, Klein was pretty muscular from sports and he had, they said he still had an athletic body build when he was in New York. And there's this great line about he wasn't after Klein gave him like the one-two punch in the gut, Pollock supposedly whispered in his ear and said, not so hard. You know, it was more about the act than it was like actually like beating each other up. It was more about being outrageous. When did he get what you'd call famous or have notoriety in the art world? Well, it depends on what level. First of show, notoriety. one man yeah. show in 1950 at the Egan Gallery. He sold just about everything that show. Really I'd well say received. 50, he started getting a, getting an, an easier time. Do you know about what those paintings would have sold for? Oh, back then. Like um, seven thousand, mm. two thousand. Yeah, I'm not sure honestly. That's what I, I. But it wasn't until he started working with Sidney Janis that he started making the big money. What is yeah. Sidney Janis? Sidney Janis was one of the major dealers in New York at that time. He represented people like Andy Warhol and um, Jackson Pollock, and so he was sort of like the big leagues. If you could get in with Sidney Janis, you knew you were you were on your way to making a decent living. Did he get wealthy? Klein got wealthy, yeah, he, he did. He would eventually yeah. have a house in Provincetown. Provincetown, yeah. Mm -hmm. Two um, sports cars, a Ferrari and a Thunderbird. 
which is part of his legend. I mean, everybody talks about the cars. He loved he loved old cars. Though he never seemed to be able to drive them very well. No. Like he'd always like he, crash into something. Yeah. So he's a famous, wealthy New York City artist. What kept drawing him back to Lee Heighton? He loved his friends in Lee Heighton, so I would say the people, mostly. His mother, um, his sisters, brothers. Honey Byer said whenever he came to town, he was always taking a walk outside on the streets and people would come up to him and shake his hand. And he, um, he made every high school reunion, you know. He was, he never, it never left him. And, and you hear all these stories about him in New York talking. He was very That's outgoing about. in the Cedar Tavern. He held court there, according to some sources. And what was he always talking about? Lee Heighton, or the coal region. It was where he grew up and things that happened. What did he say he about it? What, how would he describe Lee Heighton to people he would meet in Manhattan? Well, I don't know about that, but I know he did say, uh, Luis said that he, he was talking to a friend, Peter Martin, in his mother's kitchen. And Peter Martin used to own the City Lights bookstore in San Francisco. He's Lawrence Fer Ferlinghetti's partner. Well, Peter Martin um, left the West Coast and came to New York, and he and Klein became friends. And he brought him to Lee Heighton for the weekend, and um, Louise was upstairs in one of the rooms, and she said she could hear him talking through this heating vent. And he said, my stepfather told us all about this area when we were kids. He said all the history here. He said the Moravians, the massacre site, our graveyard. What else did he say, Joel? Well, we started talking about this Just, family a little bit, and that was what Louise was really interested in. Could tell of. how much the history meant to him of our of Lily Heighton area, and, he, and um, I think he felt privileged because his stepfather worked for the railroad because he got a job one summer working for the Lehigh Valley Railroad, and he used to find spots all the time to sit up on a bank or whatever to do sketches of the trains. So I think you know it was a far cry from Gerard College. Lee Heighton was. Um, Gerard was all boys, so this was the first time he lived amongst females, and um, they adored him. I just think it was, uh, he had a charmed life in Lehighton for the first time, probably the only time in his life, and I think that's what kept bringing him back, yeah. memories. We also have another source on what he thought about Lehighton, another artist actually, Edward Manili. He is um, pretty well known as well, but he was a second generation abstract expressionist, also from Wilkes-Barre. And so when he met Klein in the Cedar Tavern in New York, um, they were able to almost like go off on their own and to have their own language. They would say things like Tamaqua and Nesquahoning and Kittatinny and, and yeah. uh, all these great Indian Native names. American names and uh, expressions and, and Pennsylvania Dutch expressions like Hanyuk, right? Mm -hmm. That was the and so Manili um, was able to give us some pretty good information on Klein as well. He had this great quote where he said that they would go up to Klein and they'd be like, okay, Klein, you seem to have it all together. Tell us what the secret is. Tell us where it's at. And Manili said Klein stood up and said, well, it's not up here, and it's not down here. And he's like, it's just right about here. Yeah. <laughs> and I always love that. It's, yeah. He, well, that's a great line. One of the things you hear about uh, abstract art is people say, oh, my eight-year-old kid could paint that or a monkey could paint that. And you say here, could a child really paint just as well? Scientific evidence indicates otherwise. They did a study of that? That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They took work from abstract expressionists, they took work from children, and they put them on different cards, 
and they sometimes labeled them what they were, sometimes didn't, sometimes labeled them wrongly as, a, as like a, a check on themselves. And um, in the end, this, the evidence proved that people were more drawn to the actual abstract expressionist work than the work done by monkeys and children and whatnot. <laughs> I was glad you had that info. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like about it? About Klein? Yeah. I uh, See, I, when my mom started this book, I was, how old was I? Eight? Ten years old or something? Eight. And so I was brought up, when she was interviewing Louise Klein, I was sitting on the Chesterfield chair in the corner looking at the newspaper, reading the funnies, kind of listening out of the corner of my ear. house. Yeah, at State College. And when we would go to museums, um, we would play this game where it's like, okay, kids, who can find the Franz Klein? Because I have two brothers. And so we, so I was always brought up, and he, it was like Klein was part of the family in a way. And Rebecca, what do you like about it? About Klein. Klein's yeah, work? Or? Yeah, his work, his, his abstract work. I love his abstract work. I didn't really realize how much impact they'd have on me until I stood in front of one and it just did the energy just I made a connection with it somehow I just love his work yeah. uh, I don't know if I did when I first started the project um, I think I might have was leaning toward his figurative work but now I think it's the greatest Steve Martin um, he bought the Franz Klein painting called Rue R-U-E he's that comedian mm -hmm. And Annie Leibovitz, the um, photographer, took his picture in front of Rue for a cover of the Rolling Stone. I mean, a lot of people appreciate his abstract work. And I really like when he starts to introduce color. I think it's beautiful, but yeah. he died just as that was happening. Yeah, he was just starting to bring color, some color into the abstracts. Yeah. How does his art hold up in the art world today? I mean, is it seen as old-fashioned, or is it seen as cutting edge? Well, how, how? one piece sold for $40.2 million in 2012, and the headline was, Franz Klein joins the stratosphere, you know. And so his work is, is appreciating well, well. I would say every major museum has a piece. Yeah, and he's sort of mm -hmm. having a renaissance because there's this show, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's a mentioned pretty uh, heavily in one of the episodes. They go to the Cedar Tavern on the show looking for him because he holds court there. And, um, uh, and also, what else is happening with Klein lately? His life is just so interesting. I mean, we didn't even touch on his, li his life with his wife. You say it reads, his life reads yeah, like a novel. Yeah, it reads like a novel. We think it would be a, a it, great film. It would be honestly. a great film. It's got all the characteristics of a great film. It does. So uh, in, in Pennsylvania, if somebody wants to see Franz Klein work, where should they go? You mentioned the Allentown Art Museum. Yeah. I'd go there first. Yeah, the Allentown Art Museum of the Lehigh Valley. So you can see the Lehigh Mural and, and, uh, and other early works. There's another, yeah, there's a couple other ones there. The Philadelphia Art Museum. And then to Philadelphia Art Museum. Is there anything in Pittsburgh at the at the Warhol? There might be, but I was going to go like from Philadelphia then to um, the Smithsonian. Yeah, and then the Metropolitan, the MoMA in New York, the Tate Modern in London. They're everywhere. Yeah, you can't really go to a museum and not see one. I was in San Francisco recently, and there was, you know, it's right around the corner from the hotel, and there's a beautiful climb there. Mm -hmm. He died fairly young. Yeah, 60, 62. He was 52. Yeah. 52 and 62 he died. He smoked a lot of cigarettes and drank a lot of alcohol. 
and um, his heart became enlarged from that. And um, it's kind of a sad story. It is a sad story. Was he at the peak of his fame when he? He was. He was. He was at the peak of his fame. It was like he was wealthy for a couple of years, and then he was gone. He yeah. had just returned from this like worldwide tour of Europe because he yeah. was in the biennial over in Venice, mm -hmm. and they treated him so well over there. He had a limousine, and you know they were treating him like a celebrity. And I think he, you know, he deserved some comfort because of what he went through, and he's finally getting some of that at the end. And I think he was just the kind of guy that people like to hang out with. You know, yeah, some artists can be hard. Like, who wants to deal with a guy like Pollock, who's just going to, like, push all your buttons and make you mad all the time? You know, people like Klein, he was playful. He was fun. He made everything just better by being around him. That's the sense we get from all of his old friends. He went to his last class reunion in Lehighton at the Legion home, and his mural was still there. But uh, his friend said he didn't mention the mural. Nobody really said anything about it. And... When they asked everyone to stand up and say what they accomplished in their life, he stood up and said he got a Ferrari. But <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't well, get out of third gear or something. Yeah. Like that. Which is <clears throat> well, we've been speaking with Rebecca Finsel and Joel Finsel, and they are the authors of this book, Franz Klein in Coal Country. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It's a real us. pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. You've been listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN the Pennsylvania Cable Network. Full episodes of PA Books, as well as other PCN programs, are available to stream with the PCN app. Visit PCNTV.com or the App Store for details.